Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. I just want to take a moment at the beginning of this story to give you a content warning. This story contains scenes of substance abuse, alcoholism. It also contains scenes of family violence, specifically of a parent being physically abusive of a child. And it includes some really in-your-face parent death. So I want to bring that up at the beginning because some of these topics may be very upsetting for potential listeners, and I do not want to make anybody feel bad with these stories. Um, that's not the point. And so if those are things that you would rather not consume, then I suggest you move ahead to some other episodes that are not this story in specific. And I'm going to include this sort of content warning on any story like this in the future. Um, thanks for listening. Okay. I've got my fancy audio setup set up. And I've got my reading wine. And I've got 30 minutes before I need to feed the dogs. So let's make the most of it. I am going to read to you next from, as I said last time, a trilogy of short stories that were in the Wrapped In anthologies from Sekhmet Press. I highly recommend these anthologies. There is not a bad story in them. I especially love Alison Dixon's stories in them. And I really love uh, Gordon White's hair shirt drag from Wrapped in Black, the third in the anthology series. Oh, what an amazing story. He's a fantastic writer. You should definitely check him out if you don't already know of him. But the stories I'm going to be reading are my stories from those anthologies. Uh, they form a trilogy of that are uh, connected stories about a specific set of characters. If you've read the Withrow Chronicles, you're familiar with these characters. They are the book people, and I'm gonna I'm gonna not say more than that. I'm just gonna dive right on into the first story. Daddy used to drink too much. Percy came to me for the first time when Mama had been dead for sixteen days. She'd waxed and waned like some consumptive moon for years, chasing normal life just like a cat after a string. One day in the middle of what had been a pretty good spell, she said she felt real weak. That night I watched her eyes go blank while the sun set. She let out a long breath like a chain clanking, and that was that. I'd never seen a person die, but I could feel her go when she did. Daddy walked over the hill to town for a preacher. When they returned the next afternoon, I'd washed Mama and wrapped her in a sheet. 
Daddy dug a grave that night while the preacher and I sat with her. The reverend fell asleep eventually, but I stayed awake all night listening to the shovel strike earth, out in the clear and beyond the creek, down a hole that could never be big enough to contain our grief. I was 16, so I basically ran the house already with all the time Mama spent sick. Daddy and I went through the motions for a few days without saying much, following our habits and heavy silence. Mama and Daddy grew up together in a little town over the mountains between Tennessee and North Carolina. There had been bad blood between their people, so they ran away. Mama and Daddy went southwest along the ridges, up and down old logging roads, until they found a place without any opinions about them at all. To town was most of a day's walk on deer trails and abandoned mining or logging roads. Times were bad all over in the Depression, but worse than anywhere up in Appalachia. Daddy found work for a while with a logging operation, but it closed, so he was stuck doing odd jobs. Mama would sew now and again. When her hands were steady, she'd tat lace flowers twice as pretty as the real things. Mama would mail them to a store in Asheville. A few weeks later, the store would mail her a little money after the tatting sold. Sometimes they'd send colored thread and a special request. Mama would always fret over those custom orders the most, but she'd be so proud when she was done. We were all good with our hands, good at making things and doing for ourselves. I learned as much as I could from her as a little girl, before sickness crept in one bloodied handkerchief at a time, until Mama was frail and tired. I read, too. Every Christmas and every birthday I'd get new shoes and books. Sometimes Mama would get books mailed to her from that store in Asheville. On warm evenings, I'd sit out under a tree and read of things that could never happen, set in places far away. Mom and Daddy were both pretty free with how I was permitted to spend my time, what I could read, how I could think. They ordered me books from all over, grown-up books from distant places. Mama said they didn't want to keep me ignorant the way they'd been kept. There was one thing absolutely forbidden me. Daddy was always clear that he wouldn't have spiritist drink in the house. Sometimes he'd get worked up and rant about it. When he wasn't around once, I asked Mama why. Daddy used to drink too much, she said. Her voice was quiet even though she was down the hill working in, even though he was down the hill working in the corn. He gave that up when we got together. Him and me, we saved each other from a lot of things by coming here. He's trying to save you from it too. I went to a school down the holler, an hour's walk away, when Mama was doing well and they could spare me. Daddy would always ask me when I got back if there were boys at school who were troublemakers or drunkards. He'd warned me that most young men only want one thing, and they'd use liquor to get it from me. He never said what it was, but I had books aplenty to tell me that. Two weeks to the day after Mama died, Daddy stood up from breakfast and said he'd be back late that night. He went out the door and up the trail in pouring rain. I called after him to say we needed old newspapers from town. We stuffed them into the gaps in the timbers of the walls, but he didn't say anything. When Daddy got back, it was nearly the next morning. He crashed into the house making so much noise I woke up thinking he was a bear. He was half blind when he stormed into my room, and he couldn't put enough words together to make sense. I'd never seen him drunk before. Daddy snarled like a mean dog, swung halfway around, and smacked me across the jaw with the back of one big hand. I was lucky he was so drunk. He wasn't able to make a fist, and he couldn't hit with all his strength. Daddy tried to stare down at me with eyes that couldn't focus. Finally, he straightened out his thick tongue enough to speak. 
I'm tired of the way you keep looking like her, he said. He turned back around and walked into the front yard, right where we'd sit and I'd read. Daddy fell down and started wailing like a banshee right there, wallowing in the mud. Eventually, his sobs turned to silence, and in time, he took to snoring. It was my turn to cry. I sat on the sill of my window and let the tears run down, both hands over my mouth, while the trees wept raindrops around me. The next morning, I tried to move around as light as I could. At breakfast, he was pale as a bucket of ashes, and he kept staring at his hands. We ate in silence before he went to go do some fencing. When he got back that night, I had dinner out in a pot already, with a bowl and a spoon waiting for him, and I was in my room. He skipped that knock at my door. I didn't say anything, but he came in anyway. He still looked at his hands the whole time, never at me, even when he sat down on the bed. I tried not to shy away because I thought that would probably make me mad if someone did it to me. I wanted to, though. I wanted to jump through the window and run to hide. We sat like that, waiting for something to happen, until he worked up the nerve to look me in the eye. I'm sorry, he said. I sinned, and I promise never to do it again. I nodded at him, but I couldn't think of anything to say. The monster who'd torn in the night before wasn't the father I'd known. The screams he'd produced were the howls of a wounded animal. I'd never witnessed or felt things like that. He waited in silence for me to say something. Eventually, he got up and went into the kitchen. I heard him ladle up some stew and sit down to eat it with big, wet slurps. Words came to me at last, but I was too scared to speak. My question would have to wait until morning. Did you ever strike her? I asked it over breakfast. It was the first thing I'd said in two days. My voice sounded funny. The words tasted like metal in my mouth. I looked at him, but he was looking down. He didn't say anything in return. His cheeks turned bright pink and he sagged in his chair. I started to say I shouldn't have asked, but I didn't really think that. I'd stewed half the night. If I looked like her and he hit me for it, had he ever hit Mama? They'd spent years being sweet in little ways, never angry. Now the whole family, our entire life together, wore a bruise to match the one on my jaw. I wanted to know, but there was more. I also wanted to hurt him. He wasn't the only one who suffered in her absence. If he had any right to be angry at the ways I was like her, I had just as much call to be angry at the ways he wasn't. Daddy stood up and walked out, one egg still on the plate. He stopped at a crate beside the shed, pulled out a jar of something clear, and trudged into the woods. When he got back that night, he was able to make a fist just one time before he collapsed in the middle of the kitchen. Ooh, okay, well, I think I'm going to stop there, um, but I'm going to intersperse this one with some commentary on the pieces as I go. Like I said at the beginning, this is a story with some significant content warnings, and parts of it are drawn from my own family's history, although I'm not really interested in going into the details about that right now. Suffice to say, there are a lot of elements of this story that come directly from my family's stories of itself. 
not anything that I experienced personally, but they are stories that I was told. And that kind of stuff shows up a lot in our writing. Um, I had forgotten a lot of the things in this that are directly from my family history. And now that I'm rereading it for the first time in a long time, then I'm a little startled that I included some of them. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. And we will pick it up tomorrow with what happens after that. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.